So uh, my name is Jim Curdy, and I have the privilege of serving in the world's greatest Navy as a uh, chaplain. And I know we have a couple other chaplains here today. Can I get a hoo Oh, that was so weak. But anyway, and I, I, I really do want to thank uh, Pastor Gordon for uh, trusting me this morning. You know, you have a great pastor. I hope that you get that. He, we are so enjoying sitting under his ministry, and as we develop friendship, uh, it's, it's just been very sweet uh, for us. And I know he's having a great time today, hoping he'll catch some fish. But anyway, so today we're going to look at a very familiar verse of Scripture. In fact, it's one of those verses that uh, you could probably quote in a number of different uh, versions this morning. And it's a verse that, that we've definitely heard, probably haven't memorized or nearly memorized. Um, maybe, maybe not for those of you who haven't been to church in a while or something like that, but that's great. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Uh, the verse that we're going to focus on this morning describes how we as a people can respond to adversity. And when adversity comes... What, it, what do you do? What do you do with that? Because it's coming. Uh, adversity is something that touches our lives a great deal of the time. Sometimes we just have a really, really bad day. And I wrote down a few here. You know you're having a really bad day when your horn sticks behind a group of 32 Hell's Angels on the freeway. <laughs> the worst player on the golf course wants to play you for money. Your birthday cake collapses under the weight of the birthday candles. You turn on the evening news and all they're showing is evacuation routes out of your city. Uh, Your twin forgets your birthday. Your four-year-old explains to you that it is almost impossible to flush a grapefruit down the toilet. Almost impossible. It costs more to fill up your car with gas than it did to buy it. (laughs) Getting a little close to home. And then the worst of all, your doctor tells you that you're allergic to chocolate chip cookies. But let me ask you, when you have a bad day in your life, what do you do with that? What do you hold on to? When life gets really difficult, to whom do you turn? I think most people have some sort of coping mechanism that they go to. Uh, For some, maybe it's a substance, or we run to or away from a relationship. Uh, When, you know, what do we do when financial reversal comes our way? When sickness comes? When your kids uh, turn rebellious? To a pain-inflicted world. God offers a priceless promise, and it's found for us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we'll read it in a moment. If you're listening this morning with a skeptical ear, because you've heard this verse so many times, while at the same time you can recall all kinds of pain and doubt in your life, you may not feel like you want to hear this today. I just encourage you, to hang in there with me and listen. God has a wonderful promise. Romans 8, 28. Let's read it aloud together. We know that God works all things together for good 
for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. So I'm not going to dissect that verse this morning down to its smallest particle. I really just want to get some major ideas, heart knowledge of what it's saying. And, and I, I think uh, it's important to talk about really what it's not telling us. And maybe it will comfort you and give you hope. Let's pray together. Lord, for those who this morning are going through pain, through difficulty, whether it's physical or spiritual or financial, broken relationships, whatever it is, I pray that you would help us all to just kind of back up and take a fresh look at an incredible promise. That we would not allow these words to become stale in the experience of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the verse says, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So I need you to see with me this morning that there are three things this verse is not saying. Uh, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, and I think I've got the points and the scriptures are there, or you can actually use that thing we call a Bible, or open up whatever app you use this morning to help us with scriptures. But the first thing that I really want you to see, and I think it's pretty obvious, is that this promise is for everyone, not. <laughs> it's not for everyone. This promise isn't for everyone. It doesn't say that we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of everyone. Potentially everyone, but not for everyone. It is for a very specific group of people. It is to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what does that mean, to be called according to his purpose? What is his purpose? We, we've been singing about it this morning. Uh, this is who he is. He loves us. This is who he is. He saves us. He, he's preparing a place for us. Um, I have come, he said, to seek and save the lost. So th these are not lost by people who are just out there and they forgot their phone and so they're lost without their GPS. They're not folks who are just trying to find themselves. He's talking to those who are just living lives of selfishness, that their life, they believe, is in control of their own hands, that they are lost. And from that perspective, we, every one of us here, everyone listening online, if not right now, at one time in our lives, we were lost. You see, God has a very different perspective than ours, wonderfully different. God promises to invade our lives upon our acceptance of his invitation. And his purpose is not to destroy us, but rather to forgive us of everything that we have ever done that was wrong. That's his purpose, to provide for us a life and energy, a spirit to help us live today and then forever with him in heaven. And that's his purpose. And so if you're here this morning and you understand that, you get that, you are part way there to understanding this powerful promise. You understand why he came, to illustrate his love, to forgive you, to, to help you begin again. But there's more than that. The Apostle Paul wrote to those who love God. Now, 
I know in English we just have a word for love. And we, when we generally think of love, it comes with warm, fuzzy feelings and uh, kind of an emotional feeling, some goosebumps running up and down our back or our arms. But, but that is not real love. Most of us have been around long enough to know that that is not all there is to love. Love is something that you do. It is not simply something that you feel. And so this verse is not for everyone. Um, it's, it's not even those for those who understand the promise of God. No, it's, it's beyond that. It's for those who understand God's purpose and add to that for those who are committed to loving him and that purpose. When Jesus invaded my life, my desire changed and I actually wanted to love him. I wanted to please him. And John said, we love him because he first loved us. We're, we're responders. And this priceless promise, which isn't for everyone, is directed to those who, get, who understand his promise and in understanding his promise are in love with him. What does it mean to love God? It is not simply a quiver in your liver. Oh, God is so wonderful. He is wonderful. But it's not just those emotional things. It's so far beyond that. Jesus described what it means for us to show that we love him. John 14, verse 21, he said this. The person who knows my commandments and keeps them... That's who loves me. Do you know what it means to love God? It means to know and keep his commandments. And that really isn't as hard as we make it up because his commandments are always for our own good. Every single command is for our good and for the kingdom's good. And if we can just somehow keep that perspective, then it isn't so hard to obey. I think a lot of us choke on the word obey in these times. Jesus goes on to say, and the person who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. God, through Jesus, will allow us, through our loving of him and obeying him, to more and more understand life. And the way it goes and what he's doing. He discloses himself to us as we love, as we obey his commands. John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24, the first part of verse 24 says, All those who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come to them and live with them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not do what I say. Well, wow, did he have to be so in our face about that? Romans 8.28 is not just a blanket promise to all the world. It potentially is. It's not a blanket promise of working things out for good to those who understand who Jesus is and even those who understand why Jesus came. But it is a promise to those who understand who Jesus is and why he came and have embraced and have fallen in love with him to the degree that we trust him so much 
that we will say yes to him. We will obey his commands. 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God. We keep God's commandments. And his commandments aren't all that burdensome, are they? Well, as soon as I said that, I went, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) I have to be honest and say that they are burdensome to those who do not understand his purpose, who are in rebellion against him. See, those who say, I want what I want, I know what he said, but I think I know better, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, is his commandments are a bummer. They're, they're a heavy weight when that's the way that we approach it. It's a promise to those who understand who Jesus is and why he came and have embraced him, have fallen in love with him. Um, it, there's a completely different way of approaching it. And that's the much better uh, perspective. God has one hand behind us and one hand before us and one hand over us. And we know that his purpose toward us is always good. Oh, it's not always comfortable or easy. That's things that, that we add to it. Now, oh, I'm a Christian, so things need to go really well for me because I, he kind of owes me because I've said yes to him. And I sing songs about how he has everything I need. Well, he does. But what do you need? <laughs> yeah, he is all we need. And that he has given us and his great love in amazing abundance. And even though we live in an evil-filled world where bad things continue to happen to very good people, he is promising to those who love him, who are obedient, that he will somehow weave and blend all that stuff together for good. So the scripture is not saying that God causes some things to work together for good. No, all things will eventually push toward good, work toward good, and this is all-inclusive. If you're one of those people who up to this point in your life have not entrusted yourself to him, I invite you to do so now. Uh, You do not have to wait to the end of a service to say yes to God. Accept his unconditional love. Allow him to come in and live in you and you in him to forgive you of everything that you've ever done that was sin and give you a a fresh start. Bad things uh, will still happen because that's the world in which we live. I think the only Christians who believe that nothing bad ever happens to Christians have been Christians for about three minutes. It seems like by the fourth minute, there's something, you know, someone has said something or whatever it is. But the difference is that we no longer live that life alone and we are being cleansed and empowered to live uh, obediently and in love. The difference is that God takes those curves and he straightens them out because his presence is with us. Realize that's not a promise that's made to everyone. And the second thing is this priceless promise is not saying that everything is good. No, everything is not good. (laughs) It's saying that they work toward good. Huge difference. Ultimately, good. 
You know, sometimes there are things in our lives that are not good that have happened and they never will be good in and of themselves. There is no way to define them as good in and of themselves. Every follower of Jesus experiences pain. Christians are not exempt from adversity. Um, But what God has promised to do is to ultimately overrule those negative effects to eventually bring about good, to nullify, to override, to bypass those bad effects. And when God is finished, the end product will be what? Good. So when, when life gets mean and nasty, it is really important to remember this. You may not always like it, but if you will commit yourself to Jesus Christ, to being an obedient, loving child of his, then he is promising that he will be with us no matter what is the matter. Not necessarily to take us out of what is the matter, but to be with us. The reality is, and we all know it in our heads, but rarely do we convince our hearts We know that difficulties and adversity in life often strengthen us. Well, it can sometimes break us, but if we have the right attitude about it, it can strengthen us, and it does strengthen us. Um, We we don't understand that very well in our society. You know, we we have so many things that are quite easy, and we think, you know, we have to enjoy living in such a controlled environment. We have thermostats. And we're rarely too hot or too cold. Um, We don't really know what it means to be so cold that we can barely function or so hot. Um, We don't really know what it means to be really hungry or really thirsty. And in a way, that kind of robs us of something. In such a country as ours, it's possible for us to actually get away with living a trivial life. And we get away with it. The author Tim Tim Hansel wrote, one of the greatest advantages of pain and suffering is that it forces us to break through our superficial crusts and to discover life on a deeper and more meaningful level. Limitations are not necessarily negative. In fact, I'm beginning to believe that they can give life definition, clarity, and freedom. And he goes on to say, and I think I have it for you on the screens, unrestricted water is a swamp because it lacks restriction and it lacks depth. Sometimes those things that come our way, as difficult as they may seem, and these roadblocks that seem to stop us, they give us a depth that we would never have any other way, and God knows that. But when we're in the middle of it, we don't really feel like rejoicing, do we? In fact, I think it could be a little silly to rejoice. The verse is not saying right in the middle of difficulty and adversity that we should just rejoice and say, oh, this is good. (laughs) So I want to illustrate this with a thought. How many of you like cake? I really like chocolate cake. You're right. Are you liars? Or are you just... (laughs) You like cake, right? Um, this isn't going to go very well if you don't like cake. <laughs> I know it's not that great for me, but I sure like cake. Now, 
If you take all the ingredients that make up a cake and lay them out on your counter, um, none of them really taste all that good on their own. You take that slimy little egg and you try to put that in a glass and swallow that down. I know some people do this. It was popular some years ago, but I don't think it's very pleasant. Um, you know, you take that oil. How many of you are looking forward to going home and having a cup of oil? <laughs> or those, that, that cup of flour. Mm, man, a couple of tablespoons of flour in the morning. Just really get me going. And uh, all those things, however, are in cake. Maybe the sugar, but even that much sugar, no, that's just, that's, I don't know anything, unless you're a kid, probably not going to be able to eat that much sugar at one time. We don't like the ingredients of that on their own as we see them separately. They're pretty lousy on their own, but mix them together and put them in the pan and put them in an oven at the right temperature and for the right amount of time and out comes cake, right? See, now you're catching the excitement. And if you'll forgive me, I think that's a little bit of what Romans 8.28 is trying to say to us. Not how to make cake, but rather that none of it is really all that good as it comes, as the ingredients of life are coming one at a time. But when the cake is finished and it's baked, it is so good. So we got to wait. Otherwise, we developed a half-baked mentality. We have half-baked thinking. And a half-baked cake is no good. When you do that, if you take it out, I mean, there are certain kinds where it's supposed to be a little gooey. I like those lava cakes, too. But generally, it's no good when it's all gooey and sticky. It's not cake. You have to wait until it's baked and cooled down and then you can frost it and then you can eat it. See, sometimes we get in the middle of life and then we're looking at the ingredients of our life and we say, life stinks. This is really bad. This, there's no way to see this as good. But listen, life isn't finished yet. And the cake is only half baked. It's not done yet. Your story is not done yet. So understand that Romans 8.28 is not saying that this priceless promise is for everyone. And it's not saying that everything in and of itself is good. And then number three, it is not saying that everything is good immediately. Some things take time, right? A couple of examples from scripture. Joseph from Genesis. Um hated by his brothers, uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. Some of you think you have trouble with your siblings. Uh, Yeah, falsely accused of uh, sexual assault, dropped into an Egyptian prison, and forgotten. And I would think for Joseph, if he had had these words that had not been written yet, but if he had had these words, it would have been pretty tough for him to swallow. Hey, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Here was this proud young Israelite uh, in an Egyptian prison 
And I think it must have been really difficult for him to sit there and think of things like this verse. But you see, Joseph's life wasn't done yet. The cake was only partially baked, right? And from, as we look at it from, from Scripture, from history, we look back and see that within two years of his imprisonment, he's released from prison, he's risen to the number two leader in all of Egypt, and because of his experiences, he's able to save millions of lives, including his very own people and his family that sold him into slavery because he developed these programs of storing food. Can you see that the cake was not finished? But when it was, it was good. How about Ruth? Remember her? Uh, Her mother-in-law was named Naomi. Naomi had two sons. Uh, Do you know what their names meant, the two sons? Uh, In Hebrew, it's weak and sickly. (laughs) Wow. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) Imagine introducing them at a party. Hey, these are my sons, weak and sickly. Anyway, there's a famine in Israel, and so she, along with many others, went to a foreign country, and uh, they're there, and uh, uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, sons marries Ruth. I don't know which one, but weak and sickly, that's pretty slim pickings, right? Uh, one, one of those two, and uh, then they both end up dying, surprise, surprise, and, and Ruth was left a widow then, that's not very merciful. Anyway, uh, Ruth is the widow, and then Naomi's husband died, and so now two widows in a foreign country who have lost their children, and they decide we better just go back to Israel. Now, it would be real hard for Naomi at that point to, to be thinking, God works together all things, for, you know. In fact, she walks into her town and meets her people, and they say, you know, Naomi, welcome home. And she says, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, because that means bitter. For God has dealt bitterly with me. From her perspective, so much heartache, she doesn't understand that the cake is only half-baked. And as the story unfolds in history, we can look on the circumstances and we know that Ruth met a man named Boaz. And the Bible tells us three things about Boaz. First, he was handsome. Second, he was wealthy. And third, and maybe most importantly, he was available. And and so they get together and uh, listen, folks. God does cause all things to work together for good. For those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And she becomes the great-grandmother of David. And the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus, our Lord. <laughs> you got to give the cake time to bake. When the children of Israel, as they were just beginning the exodus, out of Egypt, they were camping right in front of the Red Sea. The Red Sea's on one side, and, and the mountains are behind them, and it's just this kind of inescapable spot where they're down next to the water, but there's only one way out. It's the way in which they came, and, and Pharaoh changed his mind, and now he and his army are on their way. You, you remember that scenario? 
all right? And that's not a good position to be in. It's very difficult for the children of Israel, I think, in that moment to just think about something like Romans 8.28. It was easy for them to feel betrayed in that moment. You brought us here only for us to die? You might remember the scene as Pharaoh pulls up with his chariots, looks over the people of Israel, and they're trapped with their backs to the Red Sea. And you remember what he said? He said, Moses is a very poor general to leave him with no retreat. That's not in the Bible. That's in the movie. (laughs) Yul Brenner said that. You saw that movie, right? It's on like every Christmas, I think. Anyway, you can imagine how trapped they must have felt. And I remind you, the cake was not finished yet. When it was all said and done, Israel stood on the opposite side with dry sandals. The Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea. God had them camp in a place where they would be helpless to protect themselves in order to snooker the Egyptians to get them to leave the children of Israel alone. So I have a question for you this morning. Is your life, is your thinking about your life half-baked? Are you looking at the difficulties and the adversities of life? I'm not saying we should ignore them, but is that what your focus is? Right now you're in the very middle of it, but you're not looking to the end. The Apostle Paul, the individual whom God, through the Holy Spirit, was used to write these incredible words for us, this great promise, he wrote them to the church in Rome, and it wasn't long after that where he was in Rome, but not on vacation. He was in a prison cell. And can you imagine him thinking about what he's written? We know that God causes all things. I think it could have been tough for him in his quiet moments, but he was imprisoned in Rome and he wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. And in chapter 1, verse 12 of the letter, he writes to them, Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. Wow. And look at the circumstances, what they were. He describes it in the second letter to the Corinthians, 11.23, and and following words about his imprisonments and his beatings, his dangers of death. Five times he received 39 lashes. They thought, if you got 40, you were dead. 39 got you close. The hardship, the sleepless nights, the hunger, the thirst, the cold, the exposure, his circumstances were not good. And he writes, I want you to know that it's working out for the advancement of the gospel. He refused to have a half-baked mentality. He was, I think, depressed in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be unaware of the troubles that we went through in Asia. We were weighed down with a load of suffering that was so far beyond our strength that we were afraid we might not survive. In other words, he said, Things were so bad, I thought I was going to die. But he didn't at that time because he refused to allow half-baked thinking to consume him. And while he sat in that prison in Rome, you know what happened? The praetorian guard was, was strapped to him for eight hours at a time. 
Who was imprisoned, I wonder, knowing the, the Apostle Paul here? Who were the ones really in prison? If you're tied up to the Apostle Paul, what are you going to hear? All the time. While you're tied up, handcuffed the Apostle Paul. This, this guy wrote like 13 books of the New Testament. He had a lot to say. Can you imagine having him share those ideas? Thoughts of the Holy Spirit with you for hours at a time? And of course, Paul was able to write in the gospel that the gospel had gone to the entire praetorian guard and even beyond that, it had invaded Caesar's very household. So I say to you, Mission Church, I want you to be able to take hold of this incredible promise. Even when life is difficult, I want you to be able to look beyond the tough circumstances and know, know, know that God will cause it to work together for good. I'm a little emotional because I have a personal stake in this promise this morning. And although I'm not going to go into it, I'm choosing to trust him. Because I know that no matter what happens, he will find a way to weave it into his good and perfect will. He will. Fanny Crosby was a wonderful hymn writer. She was blind. From an early age, she devoted her life to helping people who didn't have anything, people who were what they would have called skid row. And she would feed them and, and sing to them and minister to them, and she devoted much of her existence to them. And consequently, she really never had a great source of income. And so things were always pretty tight for her financially. And one day she found herself flat broke, not able to pay her $10 rent in 1875. And she testified that she was sitting in her flat, in her apartment, and she was complaining to God, Lord, I've worked with the down and outers. I, I, I've never really complained about that. And I've never complained to you about my blindness. And there were some other adversities that she shared, shared. And she said to God in prayer, and you won't even give me $10 to pay my rent. And while she was praying, there was a knock at the door. And there was a man at the door. This man had never met Fanny Crosby before. He had never seen her. And he just said, while I was praying this morning, I felt that I should come here and give you this. And he took her hand and he placed a $10 bill in her hand and told her that that's what it was. And she was overwhelmed with the sense that God does know, that God does care. Her perspective, just moments before, were half-baked, real <laughs> but half-baked. And when she realized that, she sat down and she wrote, All the way my Savior leads me, who am I to ask? What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, 
Here by faith in him to dwell, for I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whate'er befall me. Is that a promise you can claim today? Not just this weepy chaplain. Do you know that? I hope you've been reminded this morning. And I don't know what you're going through. I haven't been around Mission Church long enough to get to know too many of you. I don't know what you're going to face this week, next month, at school or at work. But someday, maybe sooner, maybe later, maybe not until you stand on the shores of heaven, you will be able to look back. And with that perspective, God's perspective, you will realize the cake got baked. (laughs) And it will be baked. And you'll be honestly able to say, God, you worked it for good. I don't know how you did that, but you worked it for good. So I'd like for you just, um, I'm running out of time, but I'd like for you just to kind of, you don't have to close your eyes, but just kind of really center yourself this morning and put aside everything else that's going on. And, and I want you to ask yourself honestly if this promise is yours. It, because it's not for everyone. No, you, you love God and live according to his purpose. It, then it's your, it's your promise. If you can't say yes to you loving God and living according to his purpose, you can do that right now. You can begin that. Now, give your life to Jesus and seek to love him and live as a saved child of God. So you can do that right where you sit. And he's not going to pound on your heart's door and yank it open. Jesus stands and he pleads, will you not trust me? Won't you let me in? Won't you let me become the master of who you are? Here I am extending my hand of love and forgiveness. And I encourage you to say yes to that this morning. And if you'll do that, this priceless promise is yours to claim. Others might be in the middle of eating a half-baked cake. And you have half-baked batter dripping from your chin. Maybe it's not even that far. You're trying to swallow a couple tablespoons of flour. And you can't get it down. You could get help today, too. Give that to God. Give the ingredients of your life back to God and let him, trust him to work it out in his timing. Give it to him. Give the ingredients of your life to him. Let him keep working on all things. And someday they will be whole. And someday they will be wonderful. They will be good. Pray and ask him to help you give it back to him. Do you love him this morning? We have one here today. (laughs) I'll give you another chance. Do you love him this morning? Are you being obedient to what you know? Because God is going to love you whether you love him or not. 
The most wicked person on the planet is loved by God just as much as he loves you. With a love that sent Jesus to die for them and you. But the word says, quoting Jesus, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Listen, God's not looking for absolute perfection, so please don't walk away thinking Chaps Curdy says I have to be perfect in all respects to get this promise. That's not what the word is saying. But it is saying those who really love God and know God will spend a lifetime endeavoring to live for him and obey him the best we know possible. And God is looking for people who are totally his, sold out. And if you're one of those people who understands his purpose, that he came to, to uh, illustrate his love, for you to complete you in response to understanding his purpose you have committed your life to love him and to serve him and to serve one another then this tremendous promise is one you should not overlook and we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose let's pray Lord God, I pray that you will help these men and women here today to be able to sense clearly the infinite love that you have for us. The world in which we live is filled with such adversity, such difficulty, wars today. Lord, all of us experience adversity and difficulty to one degree or another. And I pray that when that comes our way, that you would help us to remember the illustration of the cake. And that we would be reminded not to cultivate half-baked thinking, as simple and maybe as superficial as that sounds in prayer this morning. I pray that you would help us to see the truth of it. For those who are hurting today, I pray that you would comfort, that you would encourage, that you would grow, that you would strengthen, that you would work things out for good. For, For those who have been going through tough times, I pray that you will heal. For those who maybe even this next week or two may feel hurt or betrayed or some other emotion that really is painful, I ask that you would help us to still love you and be committed to your purpose. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to feel what we ought to feel and to know that you are working all things for good. Amen. Don't give in to half-baked thinking when people let you down. Or when circumstances are such that you feel betrayed and you may not fully understand, but I encourage you to let all things work together for good. Don't take the cake out before it's done. And in doing so, indulge yourself in half-baked thinking because half-baked thinking leads to half-baked actions. God has a wonderful plan for you today. May God's richest blessing be on you. Thank you very much for uh, listening this morning.